everyone. This is the Sound Health Radio Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy. And Sherry Edwards is over there with her tool built on working on the Sound Health Portal. One of the recent additions to the soundhealthportal.com is an exciting, well, exciting is such a tricky word because it has to do with the coronavirus. But Sherry wrote software specifically addressing the coronavirus. And also, and there's an article there, and you can also find articles and a demo of her working the software, working the program at soundhealthportal.com. And you can find a video demo of her doing that at soundhealthoptions.com under media. And you can watch a, about a 90-minute demo where she takes somebody's vocal prints and runs it through the Sound Health Portal coronavirus software program. Now, if you want to run your own voice through or you know somebody who lives in countries where it's tricky for them, now with the Sound Health Portal, you can do it from online anywhere. And you go to soundhealthportal.com, click on services, then click on campaigns, and it'll be in the list there, as well as PTSD, neuroplasticity, golf. I know, but you can... I know golfers that have improved their swing by having their vocal work up done and looking what is out of balance or in a state of something in their system. It could be something that's, in my way of thinking, when you look at the charts and the report, for me, it's about either hypertonistic, too much of something, or something that's in too excited a state, or hypotonistic, which is too low, or underactivated. And when you bring that all into balance, it's amazing how it can actually affect your golf swing. But you can go there and you can choose any of those campaigns. It's not limited to just the coronavirus. It's any of those. And neuroplasticity, one of my favorites for the mind, how it's working. And you can sign up for a free account and and do two 45-second recordings of your voice right through the computer. Better using an actual microphone or a headset so your voice is a little closer and clearer rather than just shouting at your computer. And the system will walk you through all this. So you do two 45-second recordings, and then you pick your campaign and submit it, and you get a report back in about a couple of hours to maybe overnight, depending upon lately the portal's been really active because of the corona software. And you'll get a report back that I suggest you sit down with a cup of tea and look at. And then if you have a healthcare practitioner you're working with, you can take it to them and they can look at it and sit down and you can talk about, oh, wow, I didn't know my methylation cascade was wonky. We should look at that. It's an amazing amount of information with any one of those reports. But as I say, if you know anybody in any of the countries where the coronavirus is something, it's great to be, be able to send them there and have a report done so they can see what's going on. I've talked to Kristen Grace before, and she is just a wealth of knowledge and so excited. <laughs> so, you know, excited by the work, which is great work. And with her new book, this is one of those shows that you're going to want to share with friends. And you can find the show about 15 minutes after I press end by going to soundhealthoptions.com, clicking on radio, and then click on Sound Health Radio. And the link will be there for the show notes. The top there, you'll also see a link for either Stitcher or Pocket Casts, which is my preferred podcast 
player aggregator. And if you click on either of those, it'll bring up this show. Those take sometimes 30 minutes to an hour to get the show feed in there, but it will show up at the very top of the list of either of those, along with other shows. And with both of those, Stitcher or Pocket Cast, it's easy to listen to it easily, either online or you're on your phone if you're a phone listening person. And or it's easy to share that show. And this is one of those shows you're going to want to send to your friend who's like, I've had this thing and I can't figure it out. We're not sure. Kristen Grace really is the detective. It's amazing. With that, build your blood. Healthy blood is very important for a healthy life. Many things in the blood can be subclinical, going undetected for years as they cause you to feel tired and have other bothersome symptoms. Getting every aspect of your blood work back on track can make a huge difference in your energy levels. Health and lifestyle expert Kristen Grace McGarry is an internationally recognized author and speaker. She's an authority on autoimmunity, functional blood chemistry analysis, thyroid and gut health, alleviating pain, family wellness, extreme exhaustion, resolving blocks to healing, and food as medicine. Offering more than two decades of education, clinical experience, and wisdom to her patients, Kristen Grace seamlessly weaves together dozens of modalities to compassionately meet people where they are and guide them to vibrant health. Renowned for her health detective work, to resolve patients' root imbalances, helping them to regain lasting energy. Live optimal vitality, revitalize and reconnect to their most brilliant self so they can fulfill their life's mission and share their gifts with the world. Kristen joins us to talk about her newest book, Know Your Blood, Know Your Health. Welcome, Kristen. Hi, Richard. Thanks so much for having me. And may I say, I feel it quite an honor that you're here on your birthday, that you're willing to take time out on what I must be imagine a fabulous day of celebration, <laughs> um, that you're here now. This is how you're starting your birthday with us? Wow. Yes. Cool. Thank you. Yes. Oh, I'd, pl I'd play pleasure. a song for you by the Beatles, but I we just have to hum it because if I play it, then it's bad. People come after me. It's uh, its own. <laughs> Oh, no, it's such an honor. There's no other way I would rather spend my birthday than sharing information and empowering people through your show. Thank you. <laughs> See, everybody, she's really enthusiastic. Not really, but I mean truly enthusiastic. <laughs> so I want to start at a slightly odd location, but the journey will get us there. Okay. You, in your In your work as a practitioner, you like to do somewhere in the area of 70 blood markers with a full thyroid workup and maybe a urinalysis. Why, why what seems to be so much testing when you compare it to a standard of care in Western medicine, which is maybe 10 to 20 lab markers, they somehow think that's enough. Why so much information? Okay, I'm not only looking at individualized markers, I'm looking at patterns. So I need to see more to understand and help you understand what's really going on inside the body. If we're just looking at 10 to 20 markers, which is kind of the standard uh, when you go in to see your physician or your naturopath for your annual exam, they'll order a handful of labs. And it's basically to check to see if you have an acute disease going on. 
But I'm more interested in looking at subclinical imbalances before your or before you have a diagnosis, because then we can prevent it. And we can, I can educate you to take action that uh, can really, really shift the picture of what's going on inside your body before you're very sick or get to the root of where those kind of nagging symptoms are. You know, people go in and they might have nagging symptoms of allergies or headaches or a little gas and bloating or some weight gain or their energy is a little low. And Western medicine really can't do much for that. They don't know how. They don't know how to find out. They don't know how to discover what the root of it is. And then they don't really know how to treat it. And so often people are falling through the cracks. So when I order more labs, I get a much fuller picture of what's going on in someone's health inside their body, but also their life, their lifestyle. You do almost a, uh, I, I realize as I say this, I have to explain it. You do do almost what I would call a homeopathic style of intake, meaning that with a, when you go to see a homeopath, often the intake is a couple of hours of information, just like what is it, you know, everything, everything imaginable. And you do a very similar style of you have this amazing amount of blood work, plus you do a couple of hours of intake. That's amazing. Uh, I mean, by the time <laughs> you sit down and do that, you have a tremendous amount of information to really paint a picture. I, I'm going to jump to this point. I was going to make it later, but I have to say it now. That's one of the things I love about your work is that you are really looking at the body. I'm saying this really slowly because it's a shocking concept coming from Western medicine. You are really looking at the body as a system and how it all works together. Wow. Yeah. Actually, I'm what Richard, a radical I'm idea. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I, I'm looking more at their life, not only their body, right? I'm looking at their mind, their thoughts, their patterns, their habits, their relationships. So yes, I use a lab to show them what's going on inside your body. And I also want to hear what's going on in your life and your relationships. Where are you experiencing hiccups <laughs> in your world? Where do things feel like rough edges that uh, are impacting your biochemistry? See, I don't just look at the body. I look at someone's entire ecosystem, the ecosystem of their life and what has informed their life and their physical body up until that point is important to understand in order to really guide them to transforming their health and life picture and achieving their health goals. Well, and that's such a great, the whole ecosystem, because in, the, in your book, um, you really talk about, I mean, chapter one is the healthcare provider is a gardener. I love this metaphor. Um, <laughs> but I just think that's such a great, you're really looking at the entire system of all the, the other side I have of this is I, I often use the term total toxic load in terms of the assault on our system, both externally and internally, the head noise that occurs in your brain and how you, all those things that are happening. So you have this wonderful metaphor of the healthcare provider as gardener. And was that an aha? Did you come, did that come to you in a meditation? How did you come up with that? I think it's such a great, I want to wear that t-shirt. 
that's a great, great foundation. I did not make it up. I learned about this in Asian medical school. We look at the body as a garden in a way, different from how Western medicine often looks at the body, which is more like a machine. And it's not that looking at the body as a machine is wrong. It's just very, very partial. And so for me, the analogy of looking at the body as a garden and the healthcare provider as the gardener, it, it felt much more complete and wholesome. And so I write about both of them in the book and explain both perspectives. And, and it's optimal to work with both of them. You know, if I have a compound fracture from a car accident, I want the best mechanic to help me put that bone back together. But for the rest of my life and for recovery from that compound fracture, I want a really, really good gardener or team of gardeners to empower my garden and give it everything it needs and help me make sure I'm giving it everything it needs. When I used to, I was a chef for 20 years and when I had somebody and it happens in kitchens, I, I'm, you know, somebody will cut something off, maybe the tip of a finger. That's sort of an often a thing with young chefs because you're not what you're not paying attention. And so when that occurs, I'm not going to call up my chiropractor. I'm going to put that <laughs> digit in a bag of ice and I'm going to take them immediately to the ER. I might be giving them Arnica along the way, but I'm going to take them immediately to the ER where, where Western medicine is phenomenal at reattaching things and putting, you know, they're really good at dealing with the parts, but they don't seem to have a very good grasp on, wait a minute, we're a bag of parts walking around on a planet and interacting with a bunch of people. And it never figures in. And that's what I love about your work, where you really are a fan of the gestalt approach of let's look at everything. You know, mm -hmm. there are people, there will people that will go to the doctor because they're probably hypo hydrochloric acid and they're taking Tums on a daily basis and they'll work around that. And, and it amazes me how we have, have this sort of education, mostly from PR, where the idea is if you have an allergy, take an antihistamine. If you have an upset stomach or gastric reflux, take an antiacid versus like, why? And that's what I love about your work. You are like, I mean, in such a good way, the poster child for why. Why is mm -hmm. that? What's going on? Is your stress based on and the interaction you have on a daily basis, all, all of that. I mean, that's such a, a powerful part. I mean, your work is, it's such an interesting mix of you really do a massive intake of information. And then you ask, how's your relationship? Are you fighting on a regular basis? Do you hate your job? I mean, it really is. It's a whole garden approach, this gardener approach. And, and how did this, how did functional blood chemistry come into your life? How did you, I mean, were you always doing this even when you were in uh, oriental medicine school? Did you have this approach from then or did it come in earlier? Or how did you, how did you have the, aha, I think there was an aha moment here somewhere. What was that? As in Asian medical school, I did learn from naturopaths how to read a lab. But what I didn't understand back then was that they were teaching me how to read a lab based on the reference ranges that showed up on the current lab, which, come to find out, are based on sick people or a textbook or 
data that's 20 years old. And so when a physician or naturopath says you fall within, you know, normal reference ranges, that's no longer necessarily a true marker of health. And so in my own health journey, I had a time in my life when I was very, very ill, and I eventually was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, and then 10 years later, diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Now, I healed Mm. the fibromyalgia in in less than two years, fully healed, never had another symptom. But then 10 years later, I developed an autoimmune issue, and I had been exposed to uh, functional blood chemistry analysis when I had fibromyalgia and, and right after I had fibromyalgia, but it was someone who was still studying it himself and still learning it. And so it wasn't quite as holistic, but it did shine some light on some things that truly impacted my health. And we discovered I had two different kinds of anemia and no doctor had ever pointed this out to me because they had never really done a comprehensive test. And so that opened my eyes. And then later, I, I, there were amazing, I'm so blessed, there were some amazing opportunities to study with Datis Karazian and some mm. other functional docs. And I began learning about functional blood chemistry analysis myself because the Hashimoto's, the autoimmune disease that I had been diagnosed with, had gone misdiagnosed and undiagnosed for years. And if someone would have just done a comprehensive lab panel with a full thyroid panel, which now I require on every lab, uh, that could have, that suffering could have been alleviated or avoided. And so I, it really recommitted me to helping people see what's truly going on inside their body so that they can make informed choices. What a radical idea. (laughs) (laughs) Information, information as a, as a choice point. Uh, I mean, how, you know, that's really, there's a whole other book there because that really is, (laughs) It comes. It's a, not not to myself, but I have a dear friend who's had Hashimoto's for a long time, and I kept trying to steer her toward, you know, out of Kaiser. Not saying anything bad about Kaiser, but as a system of trying to figure something out, it's not the best, in my opinion. And from that, she's had other like cardiovascular issues and other issues as a result. In my view, as an old school old herbalist practitioner that are as a result of that unreally treated, balanced out, figured out Hashimoto's. So that's, an, that's a personal trigger to me of when I hear that, that I think there are a number of, seems to be a preponderance of women with Hashimoto's that are having secondary conditions because just as your experience, it wasn't, it, they didn't, nobody had the big picture. Let's look at this and figure it out, and let's fix that. Maybe if we fix that in the cascade, other things can fall into place. Is that true? Am I overstating that? Oh, exactly. It's very true. About 96% of all thyroid disorders are autoimmune in nature, and no one's testing, or very few people are testing for it. And it's almost impossible to get an endocrinologist to order all eight markers of thyroid health plus two antibodies for a total of 10 markers, almost impossible. 
And one of the reasons is because they're bound to a standard of care. And their standard of care doesn't really ask the question, why is something off? So they're looking at TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, Maybe they're looking at total T4, maybe T3, free T3, maybe, and they're not looking at the whole picture to discover why TSH might be high. And so they're, they're required to give a drug. They have to give a T4, usually synthetic, not always synthetic. And sometimes synthetic isn't bad if you have an autoimmune issue and it hasn't been discovered yet. If you give, for example, uh, someone who has an autoimmune issue that no one's tested and you give them a natural hormone, thyroid hormone, like uh, there are some T4, T3 combination natural hormones out there, medications that come from animals, that can really trigger an autoimmune disease because it's bioidentical and it can, it can flare an a, a autoimmune disease. So, if you're just guessing at your healthcare and you're just guessing at your thyroid because no one's really tested a full panel, then I don't believe you're getting the kind of care that you deserve. And I, I personally experienced this. I had a wonderful team of doctors and naturopaths and no one tested a full thyroid panel. And after years of suffering, finally a colleague thought, oh, well, maybe you should test antibodies. And it was such a huge wake-up call. And I almost fell off my chair. I thought, how come no one's told me about this? How come I'm a healthcare provider and I didn't even know to test for these things 15 years ago? No one was talking about it. And so it, it really lit a fire under me and, and really motivated my passion to, to help people because we can find things that are subclinical. We can find autoimmunity before an autoimmune disease. The disease basically means that enough tissue damage has occurred that you get a diagnosis. But you can have autoimmunity which is a pre-disease state, but still a problem. And no one says anything about that in Western medicine. They don't even know how to look for it. But we can find it so you can prevent and halt that subclinical imbalance so you don't have to experience the full-blown disease. To me, that's revolutionary. <laughs> to me, that's an incredible concept that we are now able to truly put into practice to empower people to avoid and eliminate suffering. It's magical. <laughs> I'm laughing because of the overall, and you used a particular phrase in there that I, I want to ask about. You used the term pre-tissue damage. That's an amazing that you toss that out casually, but that's such an amazing idea when I think about how Western medicine looks at things. They're they're kind of good at looking at something. You know, you bring it in and it's inflamed and swollen. They go, oh. But I don't ever see them look at something and go, oh, that's let's try and catch that before there's pre-tissue damage. Talk about that casual phrase you toss out, pre-tissue damage. That's a shocking concept in standard of care. I think, again, in my opinion. So 
It's very routine in Western medicine. And don't get me wrong. I love Western medicine. I think it has its place. I just think it's partial and that we all need to be working together to fill in the gaps. And in, in Western medicine, usually you get a diagnosis after there's been approximately 90% of the tissue damaged. So when mm. I'm looking at things that are subclinical, it's before the tissue has been severely damaged. And to me, it's a no-brainer. Of course, I'd want to be working on something before that organ or gland or tissue is very damaged. And yet Western medicine, the system just isn't set up to look at and work with those subclinical challenges and, and health imbalances. But we are in functional medicine, and I am the way that I've embodied it and, and share it with patients. We can find things early. We can prevent suffering. And we have the tools. We have the knowledge. And it's based in science. This is not woo-woo. And a lot of people just aren't aware. Wow. Mic drop. It, I mean, it is a really shocking concept. Like if I go back to the uh, kitchen world for me, that I think about there are times when I'd watch somebody in the kitchen working with a knife and I'd suggest that they do, there's a way that you can keep your fingers all attached. I still have all of my digits. No, nothing's been taken off. I do have some good scars, but all everything's attached. And it's because I was taught how to use the knife correctly. And it's the, it fits in the same category of pre-tissue damage. It's just that idea of like, you know, if you don't do that, then you'll have all of your fingers. And it's the same idea where you take in this big picture. And I'm certain if you have somebody who comes in and is taking Tums on a regular basis, you're going, let's, why are you taking all those? You know, you really look at the big, you know, maybe you want to cut, cut back on the soda or, you know, just, it's an amazing idea of how, how much you empower the patient to be involved in their own health care. Because I think that's also quite a style difference over traditional Western medicine. And also, again, if I had a stump and a bag of ice, I'd go immediately to Western medicine. I'm not anti-Western medicine. But I really like your perspective of the big picture and the how about we don't do that. And, and you really talk in, in the book, you talk about, you know, feed, in, in chapter five, you talk about feeding the soil really, you know, getting the nutrients in there. So say what you were going to say and then talk a little bit more about the idea of feeding the soil because that's something else that I think Western medicine doesn't really talk about. Right. Well, we're, we're basically talking about prevention. You know, when, when you're talking about, you know, cutting food a certain way in a, in a commercial kitchen or in your own kitchen so that you keep all your digits we're talking about prevention. Hey, do it this way and you're going to save your fingers. And same as with the labs. If, if you understand how to look for subclinical things in a lab, you can catch things before it's a disease. And Western medicine does not have that training in medical school. Most naturopaths don't have that training in medical school. Even certain functional medicine doctors I have personally met don't have that training in functional medical school. <laughs> and so we're looking at a new way to prevent suffering. 
and it and it does involve the patient. I I, I want to shift this idea that our healthcare providers know everything and know best. I believe I work with patients as a team and I'm a guide and I'm an exquisite listener and I'm listening to their words, their language. I'm listening to their physical body. I'm listening to their pulses according to Chinese medicine, Asian medicine. I'm listening to their fascia. I'm listening to their cranial sacral system. I'm listening to their respiration. I'm watching how they walk and how they hold their body in time and space. I'm listening to how their relationships are. It all it means something in that garden, the ecosystem of the garden. It all has a meaning and it actually directs. In Asian medicine, a very good Asian medical doctor will see a patient walk in and, and let the patient diagnose themselves because, because we can see it. So when it comes to nourishing the soil, that's a, a huge part of this. And it basically means what are you putting in your body? What are you putting on your body? And are you able to break down the food you're eating? and actually absorb it. Because if you're not, Radical. then you're not nourishing your soil. <laughs> mm -hmm. And my no, first book, the, yeah. the Holistic you know, for Gut Health, talks a bit about that as well. You know, you are not what you eat. You are more what you can digest and absorb. And a lot of people are not talking about that. I think it's a real pitfall uh, to all these different fad diets. Now, keto is not a fad diet. It's been around since the 1920s. And my particular holistic approach to keto is very different than the standard keto. But it ties into labs because I can tell through a functional blood chemistry panel, a comprehensive one, if you have something called hypochloridia, which is that low HCL stomach acid. I just worked with a patient recently who was diagnosed with Lyme's many, many, many years ago. She, they suspect she had it since childhood. And one of the most horrific symptoms she's having is horrible, horrible, horrible burning in her digestive system. So they've got her on Prilosec and Tums, oh. right? You know, she's just downing this in her, her mouth and her throat and her tongue are swollen and painful, red and burning. She's got this acid reflux that feels like she's going to die. And I said, well, if you're willing to, to take a risk with me, I looked at her labs. It was very clear she had hypochloridia. I could see what was going on in her body. This was all remotely. I know that sounds a little woo-woo, but I'm going to put myself out there in that way because it's, it's a skill I have. And I said, well, let's, let's do this. We're going to take this slow. Let's get you on apple cider vinegar before each meal. And if that helps the burning, then I know what direction to take this in. Sure enough, within two days, it helped dramatically. Her bloating and, and digestive trouble started to go away. Uh, after a couple more days, she didn't have any more burning. I said, all right, now it's time. We're going to add enzymes and we're going to add betaine HDL with some pepsin. Sure enough, got better and better. Now she has no burning. So what was going on is when you have low stomach acid, it can change the pressure 
in your gut. And you can actually ferment your food because you're not digesting it properly. That's not good. So you can get gas and bloating and feel like indigestion and all sorts of stuff. When the pressure of your stomach, your gut is not healthy and it's not proper, it can cause the valve at the bottom of your esophagus where it connects to the stomach to open because the pressure is not proper. And when that valve opens, a tiny little drop of acid can come up. Now, just because there's a tiny drop doesn't mean you have enough but it can feel that little bit of acid is so strong on the esophagus uh, because that tissue is so sensitive. It can feel like you're going to burn and die. I understand. I have had this before as well. There can be other reasons like a hiatal hernia. There can be other reasons why people may have these symptoms. And in that case, there's visceral manipulation and all sorts of things to work with. But getting the balance of the pressure and the acid in the stomach can actually stop acid reflux. And time and time again in my practice, I have seen this and people, it just, it's a paradox. It doesn't make sense to them, but once they do it and the burning goes away, they are so grateful. I mean, there are other things we do too, because I individualize everything, but, but this is just a a basic piece I like to talk about when we're talking about feeding the garden and how to feed the garden. And it's not only what you put in your mouth, it's also how well you can digest it and absorb it. Well, also as we get, I, 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 I'm chuckling backstage because I think the ACV apple cider vinegar is one of the most amazing tricks to have somebody who's complaining about their gut discomfort because they'll call you the next day and go, what, 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 what am I doing? Why did this help? Why do I feel better? What have you done? Are you, are you a witch? What's the deal? Because it's truly, it's one of the most immediate effect. I mean, besides something broken or in pain that you can ice or, you know, treat in some way, ACV and then adding hydrochloric acid to your diet is like the most miraculous immediate. Wow. It's it's such a life changing thing to have somebody just add like you said with this with this young woman adding ACV and the next day she's going oh wow I feel better maybe I can stop using Tums wow and it's I, I love the ACV thing I got that from Jonathan Wright a long time ago when his book first came out I, I interviewed him a bazillion years ago and ever since then I'm People think I'm a magician because like, oh, here, try this. Oh, what? It's because it's it's amazing how how many people, it's like Hashimoto's. It's one of those underlying things that people don't know what to do about, and they have this cascade effect from others. And that thing with the HCL, hydrochloric acid or ACV, that's such a miraculous thing, but it's so in some ways simple once people start getting engaged and like, oh, wow, I'm actually going to assimilate my food and I'm not so bloated now. Wow. But it can contribute, wow. as you talk about, it contributes to, you know, not a great garden. I'll use your metaphor. It doesn't make for a good garden to have hypochloridia. It's a exactly. Exactly. And most people that have thyroid issues have low HCL stomach acid. They have hypochloridia. Thyroid and digestive issues go hand in hand, and so many doctors are not addressing it. So not only 
well, thyroid issues potentially cause fatigue, but hey, if you're not able to digest and absorb your food, guess what? You're going to be really fatigued and have nutrient issues. So then it's even harder to repair thyroid. And a lot of doctors aren't talking about that. And why do you think that is? I'm not good. I don't want to get, I don't want us to move into a conspiracy <laughs> or like, you know, all of that. But I mean, why is that? Why is it so obvious to you? And yet standard of care is sort of like, well, what? I, it, it amazes me. Why? It's, it's an obvious, you're the one of the first people that I've interviewed that really puts together the, the digestion and thyroid the relationship. That's, that's amazing. Tell, talk more about well, that. It, it's actually science. <laughs> Oh, and it's not, what? it's like, uh, yeah, believe it or not, this is actually based in science. So people that have uh, low active thyroid, so their thyroid is tired, the thyroid governs your metabolism and helps you digest your food and helps you produce HCL, hydrochloric acid in your stomach. And so it's just a it's not a huge scientific leap to then think, oh, well, if the thyroid governs these things, these aspects of our physiology, if we have a thyroid disorder, then guess what? Those aspects of our physiology will be hindered. <laughs> it's, it's not a huge leap. But what's happening is in the current medical system, this is my best guess, because I think a lot of doctors really want to help people. But in the current medical system and the current medical uh, school educational system, it, which are informed, uh, those schools, those medical schools are informed by the pharmaceutical companies. The curriculum is written by the pharmaceutical companies. And yet, yet, did you get that? <laughs> and mm -hmm. the insurance companies, right? This is, this is reality. I'm not making this up. This is who informs what the doctors learn. So they have a very, very rigorous course on pharmacology for years, but they get 30 minutes of nutrition. So the doctors are not being shown the science, all of the science. They're being shown what the insurance company and what the pharmaceutical companies want them to be shown. And they're, they're missing the links. They're not always getting all of the links. They're not always reading all of the medical journals. They don't have time. They have to see people in five to 10 minutes. They have to see dozens of people a day just to pay the bills, just to pay their overhead. So I, I don't blame them at all. It's really the system and the way the system is set up that doesn't allow for many of the doctors to make these connections and to then share that with their patient. And then, you know, you talk to a Western medical doctor, they're taught if someone has HC, has uh, acid reflux, well, you better give an antacid. They're not taught the physiology. I mean, if you talk to a really skilled gastroenterologist and you ask them about the pressures in the stomach and what those need to be like and how does HCL play into that, you may be able to get a couple of answers out of them. But for the most part, they're giving antacids when really often their patients would do better with betaine HCL. I'm I'm silently applauding. 
<laughs> it really, it always blew. I, I don't know. Somewhere early on, it, it was probably Jonathan Wright's influence, but it was early on. I was around people who were taking Tums or whatever. It never made sense to me that you need acid in your digestive system, which is part of the immune system. I mean, that's one of the benefits of having a good HCL level in your gut. It stops some things. But the idea of, wait, so we're just going to pour some Tums in there versus figuring out, like, why? (laughs) You know, try this. Back to the HCV chick. Because, again, that's part of your big overview idea of the there's a system out of balance here. Let's get that in, into balance. And that's the part that blows my mind about the standard of care approach of, oh, you have gastric reflux. Here's an antacid. Wait a minute. What? That's a fix? It's How does that affect the rest of the system? Like, what happens when somebody's on antacids for a long period of time? I mean, doesn't that have a cascade effect of all sorts of things out of balance? Certainly. Absolutely. And, you know, just to address it a little bit further, just take it one step further, the system treats symptoms. The system is not designed, medical schools are not designed to get to the root of what's going on. That's not how the education is set up. And so a system that focuses on treating symptoms will only treat symptoms. So in a way, I'm not surprised uh, by, by patients that come in and are being medicated for various symptoms. But what I do want to do is empower people through education so that they can start to have different conversations with their physicians, their naturopaths, their chiropractors, their homeopaths, whoever is on their team, their Asian medical doctors. I found even in Asian medical school, uh, which I taught at many years later or many years ago, some people would still kind of plunk the Western medical model onto Asian medical modalities and just treat symptoms. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have a different philosophy. Let's look at the whole garden. We're not just going to look at the symptom and, oh, this acupuncture point or, oh, this herb or, oh, this homeopathic can treat the symptom. That could be okay in an acute setting. If, If someone has an acute symptom, or situation, then yes, let's treat the symptom while we're also simultaneously addressing the root. But I see this all the time, even in functional medicine. Functional medicine is very much about treating the symptom, but doing it naturally. And so I really want to continue to break out of that into a new paradigm where we're looking much more holistically at someone's mind, body, and spirit. Oh, we're a system. What a radical idea. You're such a radical. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) You actually take into idea that, you know, mind, body, spirit. I know that sounds, it's funny because to a certain community of people, I would say that and they'd give me that scant look like, oh, you hippie, you know, but it's, it's so true. I mean, we really are a system. We're a self, we're walking bags of water is sort of how I think of it. (laughs) 
I mean, we're really a we're a closed loop kind of, although we do put stuff in and stuff gets applied to us and smeared on and all sorts of things. But we're walking systems, not unlike the planet. We're a system. And how do you think that treating this over here? I mean, yes, once again, if you have something inflamed and really in pain or something, treat that immediately. Okay, let's get that. But let's go then back and go for your idea. I don't. I don't know that in Western medicine the term root or cause or root of the condition ever floats to the top. They they seem to be oriented toward treating the symptom and then everything's fine. That's it. We've treated the symptom. But what about why do you have the symptom? That's really what your work and your your style of functional medicine work or your FBCA also is such a powerful tool that you really are empowering people with information to make to not only have a practitioner such as yourself help people, but also to empower them with information to make choices. Like maybe you need to, you know, watch out for gluten or some other thing. Maybe we can build back your immune system. It's such a it's such a different, great perspective. I have no question there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting to me. It's taking the guesswork out of healthcare, and it's putting the power to thrive back into the hands of the patient. And I love that. That feels exciting to me. Yes. <laughs> it's exciting. You know, the idea of actual prevention, you know, bringing that into the idea of thinking versus treat the symptom and you're done. Okay, the symptom went away. I took the Prilosec and I don't feel gut issues. But are, but I mean, down in 10 years, five years, two years, a month, you're going to begin to create a weird set of flows in a cascade of something in your digestive system, I think. Aren't you? By taking something yes. that's preventing the acidity to begin with? Often you are. It, it depends. I mean, there are very, very few cases where someone really does make too much acid and no one's addressing the anatomical function. If there's a hiatal hernia, that can often very easily be addressed. And I, I know Western medicine doesn't speak to this, but someone who's been studying visceral manipulation and advanced cranial sacral therapy and uh, other forms of body mechanics, you can, you can shift that. Organs can move. <laughs> Organs can um, become unkinked, so to speak. And, and so looking at the anatomical aspects can be super helpful. But in the case of someone who's just taking Prilosec or a bunch of Tums, it's very rare that you have a true high acid situation. More often than not, you know, at least 90% of the time, if not more, it's actually a low acid issue that's causing the symptoms that feel like high acid. And if someone continues to take antacids, they are putting out their digestive fire, so to speak. So then when they do eat, they're not making they weren't making enough acid before. Now they're really low on acid. So then you can get different bugs coming through the food and parasites. You can get uh, H. pylori, which is mm. no fun from having low HCL. You could start having issues of, of SIBO, small intestine uh, bacterial overgrowth. You can 
if you're not digesting your food and you have these large food particles trying to be absorbed in your small intestine, it's impossible. So then you can be having nutrient deficiencies. You can have mood disorders. Uh, you make more serotonin in your gut than your brain. About 90% of serotonin comes from your gut. And if you're not getting the food you need, there are actually mood foods that help you with serotonin production. It could start to impact your brain and your neurochemistry as well. So you can get a huge cascade uh, of various things going on in your body. And like you said, even immune function because about 70, 75% of immune function comes from your gut, not necessarily your stomach, but your gut. And if you're not digesting and absorbing your food well, that impacts your gut and your immune function. So yes, there's a, a huge cascade uh, that, that can ensue if someone is just working on the symptoms and not looking at the underlying root. One of the things that you talk about later on in your book, you talk about some of the major factors that influence your lab results. I think we're in that arena, but can you say a little bit more about that? Some of the things that, so you, ha you gather this amazing amount of data, but there are factors that can influence that. Does, does things like Prilosec and imbalanced hormone cascades and all that, does that affect the, does that flare up and show you something from the lab results? The major factors that influence the sure. Yes, I can often tell if people are taking certain medications by their by their lab results. I also, because I do such an extensive intake, I'm asking people what they're taking as well, but also looking at their lifestyle and their their behaviors, the patterns, their relationships, all of that can impact your lab results, uh, where you live your chemical exposures, the stress in your life, what you eat, uh, how you eat. If you're eating rushed in the car, you're not going to be digesting your food as well. And all of that impacts your lab results. Absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help it. But I think of, I have a friend who will call me sometimes on his way to work and he's just driven through someplace to get breakfast. Yeah. And as soon as you use the term drive through and get breakfast, I'm out. I'm already like, you what? <laughs> it took me a while to figure out actually what he was saying because it was a cell phone connection and it wasn't great. And then I finally realized, oh, my God, you're getting something drive through as nutrition. Wow. And the worst coffee on the planet. Wow. That's amazing. And then rushing. So you've got a combination of you're driving to work, which you're usually harried because traffic is often ridiculous in Northern California and driving through. So you've got bad traffic stress. You've got getting to work on time stress. And then you're adding this, whatever we want to call that drive through food is into that process. <laughs> what, how do you expect your day to go? I mean, it, it's, it's a shocking idea. And I imagine that you, you, once you look at somebody's blood work, I, I would imagine one of the things that, with you sitting down with you as a practitioner, whether it's remotely or locally, is you trying to keep a straight face when you look at their blood work and not want to look at them and say, what are you thinking? <laughs> what are you doing? What are you eating? It's a whole idea of, well, let me back this up slightly. Did you always have this perspective or was it really when you stepped into getting oriental medicine training that that blossomed? the big picture yeah, of pulsing I, that. Yeah. 
Well, I started off in Western medicine and thought it was amazing, and it is. But then I realized it's so partial, and it wasn't able to answer my questions of why. And so in Asian, so I started asking the questions before Asian medical school, but then really in Asian medical school, when I shifted from Western medicine, it really filled out that perspective for me and, and helped me better get out of, break out of the Western medical model, the system of how we look and assess people. And that was an important shift in my awareness and in my, in my own life and in my practice with working with other people was to, to really leave the old model of assessment behind because it was so incomplete. And maybe it's that I didn't totally leave it behind. I just added a ton of other things to it. And, you know, even if someone comes to me and their lab is a mess, I never once have that thought of like, oh my God, what are you doing? You're such an idiot. It's just not where I come from. I Because I understand people are doing their very, very best with the tools they have. And it's my job to give them better tools and teach them how to use it. Because then, then there's no excuse. Then it's on them. Then it, it, until they have the tools and understand how to use them, it's really not their fault. You know, we were all raised in a various cultures that taught us certain ways to think and, and believe and how to live and act. And, and in our particular Western culture, how Western medicine is and our educational system and the media, you know, we're products of that to some extent until we want to open our eyes and learn something new. And when we can open our eyes and expand our worldview and start to see things from a different vantage point, then we have more power and we have more freedom. And one of the, wow, we're getting close to the end. I can't believe that. Um, one of the things that you're a big fan of is teamwork. You actually like working in, in a kind of a group consulting idea of having other kinds of input, which, which to me reflects the same thing within your own practices. You want a lot of information before you. And I, I, I think this is why you're such a fan of the teamwork, you know, team approach to working with patients. Is that, is that part of it? You like all the input possible? Yes, you know, although I have re I've literally mastered dozens of modalities mm -hmm. and I cannot know it all. I do not understand everything and I really believe that we all have something amazing to offer our patients. And I add a piece to a bigger puzzle. And I, I enjoy working with other physicians or naturopaths or chiropractors or homeopaths because I believe they have a, their genius as well. And my goal is to empower the patient with as much support, information, and tools that, that we can give them that they deserve. And so I like to have a Western medical perspective present. I like, they know a ton more about pharmaceuticals than I do. 
I want their area of expertise. I want them to stay connected to their patient and be part of the team. And I also think it's education for them because they're learning that there are all these other cool modalities and functional medicine and different ways of looking at a lab. So I can speak that language with them as well and have those conversations. And, it, and it's all in the highest, best interest of the patient. And so I do like working as a team. I don't think that separating Western medical medicine or Western medical doctors from other healing modalities or other therapies or functional medicine or Asian medicine or their patient is beneficial. I really believe that if we were all working together, then the patient gets the best of everything we have to offer. And, and that feels important for better patient outcomes. I think if we're segregating and we're disconnecting and we're making people bad or wrong, that it does not create a therapeutic environment. So it's my job to create an environment where that patient can thrive. And sometimes that means working with their doctors, and I'm happy to do that. And other times, I, you know, it means they leave their doctors because their doctor was putting them down and shaming them. I just, I just had this happen with somebody on Facebook. They reached out to me and their, their physician was shaming them and putting them down for changing their diet because they were obese and it was just horrible. And so in that case, I, I invited them to find a different doctor, (laughs) find a doctor that's going to work with you, not against you. So I, I do like working as a team when it's appropriate. And I believe that, that it gives the patient even more. Empowering one patient at a time. That's your next book title. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's really, <laughs> it, it's a, it's, it's a radical idea. And I mean that in the best way of radical, you know, as somebody in chat said, uh, you know, free radicals. And I'm thinking to be a great uh, baseball cap. I'd wear that baseball cap, free radical. <laughs> You know, I just, I think those two together, they can mean all sorts of tricky things, but at least it would engage people in the conversation of like, what do you mean by free radical? You know, those are bad. No, not necessarily. You know, free radical. And how do people, uh, the, my questions are, now we're at the point where I'm going to ask you all these questions. How do people work with you? Do you do workshops? And when can we actually have a physical copy of Know Your Blood, Know Your Health? And where do people find more information about you? Hey, so my website is a great place to find more information about me and to work with me and to read blogs and get recipes. And my website is guthappyketo.com. That's G-U-T-H-A-P-P-Y-K-E-T-O dot com gut happy keto.com and i do teach and i do see people both in person and remotely over zoom and different things we we go over labs all over the country and the world and 
I'm also called, uh, creating a women's retreat in September. It'll be held in September and it will be near my home in Costa Rica at a beautiful retreat center. And so if you're interested in attending a women's retreat, I have 20 spaces available. It will fill up soon. You are the first person I'm offering this to your audience. I have not publicly told anyone about this retreat yet. So it's very special and wow. it's very exciting. And it's going to be a five-day retreat that will change your life. Oh, that's all. <laughs> that's all just change your life nothing to you know fret about just change your life that's amazing that's great i'd wear a wig and a dress but i can't pull it off um that would be a five-day retreat would be spectacular because i know from having interviewed before and i'll put in the show notes the previous interview we did interview we did on your keto health book which is a great approach and body of information about keto and the idea of doing, you know, five days of work, very appealing. And in Costa Rica, okay, I'm there. But I can't, <laughs> I don't think I can fit into the women's retreat. I might do a mixed gender retreat um, another time. Someday. But this time, <laughs> just my, my ladies are coming. And I'm very excited. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yes, there'll be work. But it'll also be really, really fun and juicy. We're going to dive into pleasure, we're going to dive into nature and deep connection with each other and together as a group. We're going to have one-on-one -on -one exercises. We're going to do so many amazing things. We're going to have cacao ceremony, amazing raw desserts. It's, in, it's, it's going to be spectacular. Well, <laughs> I look forward <laughs> to the inclusion of men into that someday. It will happen. I feel it happening. Yes, yes, it happening. will. Um, that was great. We could go on and on easily. Uh, there will be probably a third show in the not too distant future. You see, when do you have time to write books? You seem very <laughs> prolific with books, with everything else that you're doing and the traveling and the, I mean, and, but yet you're, you're making books like crazy. It's I amazing. just finished my third book. I'm so excited for the third one, too. It's with my developmental editor right now, and I have four, five, and six already in my brain. Um, but I'm going to take a, a couple months off because I'm writing a lot of magazine articles and such right now. The second book, this book, um, Know Your Blood, Know Your Health, launches April 7th, but I'll be speaking at the New Living Expo in San Mateo in the first weekend of April. Uh, and that's very exciting. And we'll have the book there so people can get the book before it even gets mailed to them. So it's really exciting. That's very exciting. You'll see me in April. <laughs> Yay! That's very exciting. Yeah. Um, all right, Kirsten, have a stupendous birthday. And uh, thank you so much. That was great. I knew it was going to be fun. And it was really, you know, a great amount of information. Again, for people who want to listen to this again and or share it with friends, go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on radio, then click on Sound Health Radio. Give it about 10 or 15 minutes from after I end the show now. The replay link will be there with the show notes and or you can find it at Pocket Cast or iTunes or Stitcher or any number of locations. And everybody have a great rest of the weekend and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.